0: and uh, that buzzword is the presence of God that's a buzzword become a buzzword in our generation and what this means to uh, many people is anything from a euphoria or feelings of euphoria to some strange or bizarre uh, physical uh, manifestations and actions and uh, all of these are touted as being or proof of Uh, the blessing and the presence of God. One of the things that you need to write down is that God is not a genie. He is not someone that we summon at our will to meet our, uh, uh, our expectations or to serve our whims or to make us feel good. He's God. Hebrews 11 says, He that comes to God must believe that He is God. He is not a a, a deity among many deities. He's not a religious figure uh, that we can uh, summon up to uh, make us feel good or make us rich or uh, any of those things. He's God. And in 1 Samuel, we have a tremendous lesson here uh, that I want to deal with in 1 Samuel 13, beginning verse uh, 8. And uh, this uh, has to do with uh, Saul, as I uh, spoke last night, another facet of that. And uh, I want to speak to you uh, from verse uh, 8 on strange fire. Then he, Saul, waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring me a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him uh, that he might greet him and Samuel said what have you done Saul said when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash then I said the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal and I've not made supplication to the Lord therefore I felt compelled, or the King James says, uh, I forced myself uh, and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You've done foolishly. You've not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for Himself a man after His own heart. And the Lord has commanded Him to be commander over His people because you've not kept... uh, what the Lord commanded you strange fire first of all I want to examine with you uh, the trend today I take uh, a lot of uh, religious publications and going through these religious publications you could actually give them the title of what's hot and what's not that's uh, about the trend that you see and uh, this is the overview of the religious world I was reading uh, a comment by uh, one author recently and he was talking about a period in church history which was the Renaissance period and he says during that period of time romanticism brought a new theology based on subjective feelings now if you were to take much of what is being done in the religious world you would have to put it within that framework uh, that the theology that's being embraced today is a theology of subjective feelings I uh, i uh, just went through some of the advertisements in some of these magazines and so one of the advertisements is for the fourth uh, international tambourine and dance conference now this is powerful a whole conference done on tambourines and dance well it's worse we also have a whole selection of resource materials available for tambourines uh, dance and flag banners uh, and uh, uh, and one of them even advertised a seminar prophesying on the drums can you imagine this? Now you're too old to know about Gene Krupa, he's my generation he was a uh, a fantastic drummer of my generation. I can just when I read that seminar I could imagine This in my mind, here's Gene Krupa, he's, you know, and everybody's just watching and all, oh, praise God. (laughs) This is the insanity of subjective theology, and one of these says, calling all leaders and pastors, uh, tambourinists, uh, dancers and intercessors uh, and flagmasters uh, and families. I uh, preached in a church in Australia a number of years ago. And so in that church, uh, they had what's uh, uh, known as prophesying on the saxophone. And so in a period of time in the service, uh, here's this guy, ever thinks like, well, I mean, he's just cutting it up and on the saxophone when he gets through. Then somebody gives an interpretation. Well, that's a nut factory. But this is a result of what is known as subjective theology. What this is, is an error in the error of religion and revelation of God through Jesus Christ. They're advertising, and you hear statements made, totally uninhibited worship or worship with abandon. Now, the minute I, the minute I read that, I picture in my mind... Perhaps you have been limited in some of your religious experience or exposure. But the moment I read that, uh, I can simply see uh, a religious rave. Can you say amen? Or a, uh, a religious disco. And that's what comes to my mind uh, is a, a foaming at the mouth, uh, absolutely insane group of people. Uh, and uh, when you uh, see that, uh, uh, this is what comes to my mind. Here's the, uh, the trend that we have. And the trend that we have is found in our text, it's the gathering of a crowd. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, Saul built an altar and he sacrificed. And the reason he did this was, I saw that the people were scattering from me, one translation says. So here's Saul. He's in the crisis of life. He's the leader of the people. He's the one that has the focus of of, uh, keeping the people aimed in a direction. And the people now have begun to scatter from Him. He's in a crisis of life. And so what He does, as He saw the people scattering from Him, then He built an altar and He sacrificed, uh, directly opposed to the revelation of God's will and purpose. It was a religious activity to give the impression of God's moving and God's favor. Mark that down in your mind because this is the trend of the generation in which we live. On every hand, there are new wrinkles that are coming into the church. I was reading one article the other day, it had to do with Buddhism and how Buddhism has become very popular even among many who profess to be Christians. And one of the statements was that Pop Buddhism's low commitment, high touch beliefs are very appealing to our generation one quote says uh, now it's becoming and i quote now it's becoming the in thing to be spiritual says buddhist teacher jagad guru paramahansa it's more cool modern and progressive to be spiritual without god spiritual without god the growing appeal of buddhism among america americans uh, uh, to a a uh, growing fascination with the extravagant expression of the mystical now those are big words and we've read those very quickly but that's the issue that's the trend of the hour and the issue is appealing to the people appealing to something or some facet within them uh, that will draw them into a place uh, of uh, gathering together very strange twists uh, among charismatics listen to this uh, uh, quote, There's a man named uh, Mike Bickle, and you may not be familiar with him. He's uh, was the head of the Kansas City Prophets that joined the Vineyard Ministry some years ago with about 60 churches, and he uh, became even too radical for them. They threw him out. But listen to this. This is called radical worship. My friend Mike Bickle did something strange last fall. He resigned from pastoring his successful 2,500-member Uh, Metro Fellowship in Kansas City and turned the church over to a uh, trusted colleague. Then he started a worship and prayer service that has been running 24 hours a day without a break since September 1999. Mike has no plans to end this unusual gathering, which involves two dozen full-time musicians along with at least 20 singers uh, and intercessors uh, who raise their own financial support so they can pray full-time. It costs a minimum of $45,000 a month to keep this project going. Musicians take shifts so they can eat, rest, and spend time with their families. But at any given moment, a team of prayer warriors, singers, and instrumentalists are ministering to God, just like the Levite priest did in the Tabernacle of David. Mike believes this kind of continuous worship will soon be the norm. And he says, listen to me, he says it will be a key to releasing spiritual revival on a global scale now this moves out of a theology and that theology is that if you and i will just simply gather and worship and have the right formula for worship we will develop and produce the presence of god i'm sorry but that's not biblical neither will it happen and in the process of time it will prove to be an error but we live in the days of fulfillment of prophecy of Ezekiel this is a fantastic prophecy Ezekiel 33 32, 33 listen to this as for you son of man the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses and they speak to one another everyone saying to his brother come and hear what the word of the Lord is that comes from the Lord so they came come to you as my people do they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their, uh, their hearts they pursue their own game. Indeed, you are to them as a very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice, and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not do them. And when this comes to pass, uh, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. This is a messianic prophecy spoken by Ezekiel. And if there ever was a day that fulfilled that prophecy, it's the day in which we live when the gospel of Jesus Christ has become nothing more than a beautiful song that people sing that make them feel religious and make them feel good. And they hear the words of God, but they will not do them. This is the fulfillment of the generation in which we live. And the key and the trend is the gathering of a crowd, which is religious entertainment, and religious participation. Listen to this quote. Uh, uh, this uh, uh, is uh, the end of this quote on uh, worship. Says, "But some, uh, but uh, buy some rather, buy some worship CDs. Then go in a room by yourself, lock the door, and uh, uh, demonstrate your love for God in passionate ways. Remember that passionate ways. Remember the Bible clearly sanctu- uh, sanctions exuberant worship." Uh, it calls us to sing, shout, clap, raise our hands, dance, kneel, and to lie prostrate on the, on the floor to show our appreciation for Jesus, God's most priceless uh, gift. I was reading that, and you see, with a, uh, the absurdity is just with a little common reason. Here's poor John. The, he's on the Isle of Patmos. He's in exile. Uh, He's uh, a slave worker in the salt mines on uh, the Isle of Patmos. uh, And uh, John, uh, poor John, no CDs and no CD player. He has to just get a hold of God by himself, which he did. And wrote the book of Revelation, which you and I are still pondering. the The book of Revelation and no CD player. See, the absurdity of these things, uh, with a little bit of thought, uh, become, uh, uh, become very apparent. Uh, I was reading recently about Benny Hinn, and so Benny Hinn had a church in Orlando, Florida, and uh, he sold the church. <coughs> the people are having to pay for it now that he pastored. That would be a joyous occasion and moved to Dallas, Texas and as he moved to Dallas, Texas he moved there and he's at present raising a hundred million dollars to build a Christian theme park now isn't that what it says in Matthew? Go into all the world and build a theme park oh I felt that one rolling around you didn't like that did you? I stepped on one of your sacred cows. It looked like we would have learned with Jimmy Baker. The preaching of the gospel is so very simple and so very plain. But you see, the preaching of the gospel isn't the issue anymore. It's the gathering of the crowd that's the issue. And here's Saul... And uh, the people now are beginning to lose interest. Uh, They're beginning to wander. And so Saul, the Bible says, verse 9, builds an altar and he offers a sacrifice. Uh, He sacrificed to God uh, because he said, I saw the people were scattering from me a religious activity to give the impression of God's moving and God's favor. Worship conferences are are the big rage today. And in these worship conferences are incense. Uh, in these worship conferences are banners, worship teams, uh, extravagandas of various kinds. Uh, they produce an atmosphere. They produce an emotion. Uh, and they produce a response. Uh, and the ge- agenda is the key to gathering a crowd uh, or holding a crowd. Uh, and that's the trend of the hour. This brings me to my second thought. That's the deadly danger that we find here. Everything that is supernatural is not God. You need to write that down somewhere because you're going to need this. I picked up an article recently in one of these magazines. Out of South Africa, they had a unity conference. Uh, All the churches uh, uh, got together. And as they got together, uh, gold dust began to fall from heaven. And the conclusion was, by the author of this article, God was so pleased uh, with this conference that he was pouring out this gold dust uh, upon the people. And it was in their hair and upon their shoulders and the clothes and so on. A very interesting little uh, sequel to that is that two different independent uh, people have taken this gold dust to uh, assayers and had it assayed. And they found out it was plastic. I'm not making this up. This is... this is, And so uh, apparently God's running out of gold in heaven and so it's turned to plastic. And so when we get there, as the Bible says, there won't be uh, uh, streets of gold. It'll be streets of plastic, I guess. Everything that is supernatural is not God. I... Uh, i got a book that's out of print. I had it bootlegged and it was uh, available at our conference. It's called The Beautiful Side of Evil. And uh, I, the reason I had this published was this is a Christian woman who wrote her uh, history. She became an assistant to a, uh, a uh, 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 magical healer in Mexico, a woman in Mexico. And uh, this elderly woman in Mexico uh, would take on a male demon. And as uh, she took on this male demon. Her voice would change, uh, and then she would uh, begin to por- perform operations on people with a pair of scissors and a rusty knife, uh, and uh, much of it without any marks or without any, uh, without any blood. And as uh, she did this, uh, this young woman relates uh, how she saw fantastic miracles that were unbelievable to the human mind. Uh, they were being performed uh, by a demon. She later is converted to Christ, filled with the Holy Ghost, and she writes this, uh, uh, this, uh, this book uh, to uh, give you some insight, because everything that's supernatural is not God. This is the great test of this generation. I preached this ten years ago, that one of the great tests of this generation uh, is to discern that everything that is supernatural is not God. And so the deadly danger that we have here is what I call conjuring up the presence of God. Here's Saul, and as the Bible finds him there, he's in a crisis. And he says, uh, the King James, I force myself, uh, and uh, he says that you didn't come when you were supposed to come. You set seven days to come, and uh, you did not come. And so I had to get God moving here, and I took it upon myself uh, to offer the sacrifice. Mark down my words uh, and remember them. This is conjuring up... uh, the presence of God. This is a crucial issue and you'll learn much as you begin to examine this and begin to think about it. Think about this for a moment because when a religious activity is pushed into a forbidden dimension it opens to demonic exploitation. In the Old Testament we have a tremendous story. Uh, the people have sinned against God. As they sinned against God, Uh, Moses uh, beseeches God to bring a healing for the people uh, and God says to him make a a brazen serpent which is a replica of the problem that they have uh, of the serpents uh, that are biting them and they're dying Uh, people are dying all over the camp Uh, Moses makes a brazen serpent puts it upon a pole puts it in the midst of the camp uh, and the message goes out uh, uh, that there's healing there and they begin to bring the people, and as they looked upon the brazen serpent, they were healed. It's a wonderful miracle and it's a foretaste of Calvary's tree, because Jesus said, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that everyone that believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's a wonderful event. But if you read the Bible, there's something else transpires. In the process of time, they began to reverence that object that had brought them such tremendous deliverance. And they made this an object of their affection. And, uh, and uh, this is recorded in Second Kings 18.4, because there's a godly king that comes to rid the land of idolatry and witchcraft. And it says in Second Kings 18.4, "...he removed the high places, and broke the images, and cut down the groves, and broke in pieces the bra- brazen serpent that Moses had made." Uh, For under those days uh, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, and they called it Nehushtan, or the Divining Serpent. Now think about what I've just read. Here is something that was a legitimate instrument used by God uh, to bring deliverance. They then began to turn from the commandment of God... uh, which says you make you uh, no uh, image of anything on, uh, on heaven and earth, uh, and uh, to use that in religious worship, they disobeyed God and began to burn incense to it and begin to inquire of the will of God to it. That's why it's called the divining serpent. They made it an object of religious worship. Uh, They pushed beyond the boundaries uh, of God's commandment. uh, And as they did that, demonic forces began to come in. And apparently, there was supernatural activity of some kind. uh, And that's why it's called the divining serpent. Because if you go to a fortune teller, a crystal ball reader, a palm reader, there will be a supernatural activity, a Ouija board, but it won't be God. There's a tremendous lesson here. And as we begin to learn that, we need to mark down what the Bible says. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes, and as he writes, he says that uh, idols... The idol is nothing. He says all the idol is, it's a, simply a, a block of wood carved to an image or stone. And an idol is nothing. It's, it's simply an inanimate object. But in the same chapter, a little further on, he says, They that sacrifice to idol sacrifice to demons. Now there's tremendous insight there. And that is that though... Uh, it is nothing. It's an inanimate object. If you begin to venerate that uh, and make that an object of devotion or religious uh, 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 activity, demon forces then come in and begin to exploit that uh, and begin to lead you astray. I was holding a crusade in, in Bronx, in, in uh, Pole Park in, in Bronx, in the middle of New York City uh, last summer. And I was praying for many people. They brought a, a woman from Thailand and uh, she had pain all over her body, she said, had uh, severe back problems, uh, uh, degenerative uh, uh, spine, and uh, arthritis all over her body. I prayed for this woman, and as I prayed for her, she said, nope, nope, the pain's still there. And so I looked on her wrist, and she had a jade bracelet. Now, uh, to those of you that are not initiated, braid, uh, or jade generally is not simply uh, just a piece of jewelry. It generally, and especially a bracelet, uh, would have been something. She'd had this since she was a child. And she would have been taken to a Buddhist temple. And uh, this uh, bracelet would have been a, a, a blessing spoken on it uh, or an incantation from a priest. Uh, and she put that on her hand. Uh, and she'd had that since she was a child. It was not simply an innocent piece of jewelry. I said to her, I want you to take that bracelet off. Uh, and uh, and I want to pray for her. No, 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 she said. I said, well, then... I ain't praying for you. He take her off the platform. They took her off. I went ahead praying for people. And God was just healing people, one right after the other. And after about six people I'd prayed for all got healed, Paul Campbell came to me and said, This lady wants to take the bracelet off now. <laughs> they brought her back up. And with uh, great uh, uh, effort, we uh, finally squeezed it down. And it, it almost uh, uh, bruised her thumb as we got it over. She took that off, uh, uh, threw it on the platform. And I said, Now, that's mine. I'm going to destroy that. And I prayed for her again instantly. She was gloriously and wonderfully healed of that. The reason I'm telling you that story is to make you to understand that when animate objects are involved in religious worship or religious veneration, something transpires in the demonic realm and it no longer is an animate object, but demon forces begin to exploit that and begin to lead us into another dimension. I want to talk to you about the strange fire of Aaron's sons. Here are Aaron's sons, and they're in the priesthood. They actually are involved in the the, uh, temple ritual, the tabernacle ritual, And as they're involved there, uh, they uh, have an idea. And that idea is that they're going to uh, go beyond. They're going to to take uh, worship to a higher dimension than uh, they're experiencing there. So they go in, take it upon themselves, uh, and take uh, fire in the censers, and begin to go out of the tabernacle. Uh, They're going to perform religious service that God is not performing. And the Bible says that fire came out from the altar. And as I said last night, they become crispy critters. Now there's a lesson here. And that lesson is found in Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered the profane fire. That's beyond what God has uh, required. Before the Lord, which He had not commanded them... And so fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. See, the root of strange fire is uh, uh, was conjuring up the presence of God or manipulation uh, and of a religious action to move God, and that's what conjuring God is. It is a, an action that we take that God is not in, we're doing this of our own self-will and of our flesh. Uh, and as we're doing that, uh, we're attempting to produce uh, a presence of God. Uh, and this is the focus uh, of the issue. If you, t- this morning, go to an altar. I was talking to Mark Olson some time ago. And he is telling me about his days as a rebellious, uh, acid-head, dope-smoking sinner. And uh, he decided that uh, he wanted to become a follower of Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. And so uh, as the initiation came, he uh, was uh, commanded to take a, a white handkerchief and a flower And a piece of fruit, and go into this room, and this is going to be the initiation ceremony. And as he goes into the room, there is an altar there. On the altar is a picture of the Guru Dev. He is to kneel down before this altar, and he's given a mantra, and he says to me, I genuinely had a spiritual experience, and it was a religious experience, but it was not God. If you were a Mormon, this happens many times to Mormons. Some of you it may have even happened to. They, to validate their experience, uh, they need what they call a testimony. And uh, if you were being converted into Mormonism and you're you're doubtful about whether this is true or not, uh, they say to you, You can prove that Mormonism is true because you need to pray and ask God to give you a testimony. A testimony means that you are open to uh, a relative that has passed into the beyond to appear to you. And if you pray, uh, maybe Grandma will appear to you and say, Joe, I want you to know Mormonism is absolutely true. Son, go for it with all your heart uh, as Grandma appears or Aunt Bessie or Grandpa Joe. Many Mormons have this experience, which they call a testimony, but it is not God. Everything that is supernatural is not God. The deadly danger that we have in religion is that we conjure up uh, a presence of God or so-called presence of God. If you force this morning a worship encounter, you may also have a spiritual encounter, but it's not necessarily God. In the Old Testament, we have the story of the Tower of Babylon. I'm not sure if you're aware of what the Tower of Babel was. Historians tell us that it was a ziggurat. It was a religious edifice and God looked down upon this and these people had discovered something in a spiritual dimension and God looked down upon that and said if we do not interrupt that, and uh, come down and do something, uh, they're going to be able to uh, uh, to exercise uh, and manipulate uh, and have something in the spiritual realm that's going to affect the heavens. As a consequence of, ca- of that, uh, God came down, confused their tongues, uh, and we have a horrible... Uh, difficulty today of trying to converse together in various nations uh, and one can not understand what the other is if we do we have to have an interpreter that's a direct result uh, of this religious conjuring uh, in the Old Testament so as you and I are in this building this evening uh, this morning uh, we need to be very concerned uh, that we are in obedience uh, to God here's Uzziah Uzziah is a king of Israel He's not happy to be a king. He wants to be a priest. He takes a censer, begins to head into the tabernacle, and there are seventy priests, and they plead with him. They say to him, "Do not do this. This is not your prerogative." You do not belong here, but you see, uh, Uzziah wanted to, to conjure up and take it to a higher dimension. As a result, he stepped into the tabernacle. As he stepped across the threshold, leprosy hit him, and the Bible says he was a leper until the day of his death. In Ecclesiastes chapter ten verse eight says, "Who shall break up a hedge? A serpent shall bite him." You see, God has put boundaries in even worship. God has put boundaries in His self-revelation. And when you and I begin to enter into, and as Saul, we force ourselves. uh, We're on very dangerous territory, uh, and there's a great lesson here for us. There's a very popular book just been produced called The God Chaser, And the theme of that book is uh, that you press this into another dimension, press this in, and it's actually forcing God... uh, to do something that God's not doing. There's nothing wrong with seeking God. All of us need to seek God. We need uh, to open our heart to all that God has. But you see, God has boundaries and hedges uh, in the Word, and they're there for a reason. I want to talk to you this morning about the safe pathway. The key to a safe pathway, of course, is Scripture. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Here's the first uh, woman. And uh, as uh, Satan comes in there, he does not say to that woman, Look, look, why don't you let me control you and possess you? Does He? What does He say? He doesn't say, Look, if you disobey God uh, and you eat this fruit, uh, you will not need God at all uh, to tell you what to do. Your own will will then be, uh, within rule. He didn't say any of those things. What He said was, uh, Look, uh, uh, you know, uh, God doesn't want God to move. If you want God to move, What you need to do is take the fruit, and I want to tell you, your eyes will be open. It'll be a fantastic revival, and you won't even need God anymore. You will know what's good and what's evil, and this was, in fact, his agenda. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 2 and verse 2. He gives us a tremendous statement, and he says, You once walked according to the course of of this world, according to the course of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience. So here we have the issue. The issue is obeying God and allowing God to control us, or we force the issue, and as we force the issue, then there's another spirit that begins to control us, As we force the issue, the spirit of disobedience, which is the devil himself, begins to control and set the agenda. And what they're really talking about is you being your own God. What we're dealing with is affecting the elements. We're dealing with spiritual forces that govern this world. And when we operate in religious self-will, mark my word, write that down, when we operate in religious self-will uh, under the banner of worship or church service or church activity and spiritual pursuits, uh, we trigger a demonic uh, dimension. Let me emphasize to you the key, which is the surrender of your self-will. See, when you go back to the, the garden, you'll actually find what the problem was, uh, was your will or God's will. And the key to this is a surrender of self-will. Samuel left Saul, and he said to Saul, Saul, I'm going to come again in seven days, and in seven days do not uh, embark on this warfare, upon this campaign. You wait seven days. I'm going to come. I'm going to offer an offering that's going to bring the blessing, the presence, uh, and the anointing of God, and you wait for me till I come. You see, the difficulty with man, he always has problems waiting on God. He needs to help God. And because of that, the Bible says Samuel spoke the words to him and says, The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. Here's a lesson for all time. First Samuel fifteen twenty-three, this fantastic passage of scripture that gives profound insight. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. This is a profound scripture. Write it down, ponder it, pray over it, let God speak to you. Because what we're dealing with is self-will. And when self-will replaces the will of God in the human heart, we have a new God. His name is called us. You still with me? This is what Saul did. No longer is uh, is his heart and his will going to be surrendered to God, but I forced myself or I took it upon myself... Uh, to do that, uh, which God was not doing through His appointed representative. uh, But when we do that, uh, we've triggered the dynamics of witchcraft. This is why witchcraft is idolatry. And this is the dynamic of a new God. This replaces Jehovah God. uh, And this is the God of uh, uh, of this world, uh, or Satan. And He exploits uh, every action that we take. Of self will. Mark that down, write it down. We talk often about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God literally is where God rules. That's what the kingdom of God is. Where the king is in control, there's the kingdom of God. Where we are in control, there is the kingdom of darkness. Very simple. It's very profound. uh, but that's where the strange fire falls, uh, and that's the root of self-will. Here's the Apostle Paul, book of Acts. He's headed toward Damascus. He's a religious little Jew. He's filled with zeal, and he has in his pockets warrants for the arrest of Christians. He's hailing them, having them put to death. He's headed for Damascus, and he meets Christ in the road, knocks him on his butt. He's blinded. Listen to his words. Jesus spoke to him said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord, that I'm persecuting? He said, I'm Jesus uh, that you're persecuting. And then we find these words. Lord, what do you want me to do? Those are profound words. I talk to people from time to time, and they uh, uh, they say, uh, uh, you know, I got saved. You mean I have to go to church all the time? I have to tithe? I have to... I have to... Shut up. Get back to the altar. You're not saved. First words that come out of your mouth when you get genuinely saved is, uh, Lord, what do you want me to do? I was just telling Sister Foley this morning that my daughter, uh, Debbie, who's had a, a rough road of, uh, of, uh, of sin and uh, has come back to the Lord about uh, four or five months ago, gloriously, wonderfully saved. But uh, here's how I know she's saved. She says to me, Dad, if I ever date again, I'm going to pass him by you for your approval. I said, that girl's saved. Forty years old. It <laughs> be wonderful that it happened at 17. Self-will is idolatry. This is where strange fire comes from. This is the devil's domain. This is the devil's kingdom. And when you and I pass from the place where we say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then we're in deep trouble. And that's where strange fire comes from. And this is the religious world that is caught up. Uh, in a theology, of subjective theology, or in other words, it's I've experienced it's inside me, and because I've experienced, that's for therefore it's true. We have Uzzah in the Ark. Here's David; he's bringing the Ark up from uh, from uh, the uh, uh, Eli has lost it. It's in Ad- binadab's house, uh, and he's bringing up the Ark. Uh, and as the Ark is there, it's on a cart. Uh, and uh, the uh, cart stumbles, uh, and as it reaches out and touches it, and he's turned into a crispy critter. And God said, I don't need your help. God doesn't need your help or mine. You and I begin to operate with self-will, and we enter into a dimension, we are forcing the issue... And we fit into the false prophet, Balaam. Here's Balaam. Balaam is famous for his ability to bring curses. And uh, the Balak, the king of Moab, hires him and said, Come over and cuss his people for me. They're coming up out of uh, uh, Egypt. You're a good cusser. That's what cussing is. You know, that's cursing. Balaam says... I can't do anything beyond beyond what God says for me to do. He goes to prayer, and as he goes to prayer, God says, uh, "I can't. Uh, I'm not going to curse these people. I'm going to bless these people." He goes back and tells Balak, says, uh, "Can't curse them. Uh, blessings, all I can do to them." And he pronounces a wonderful blessing, all of which hasn't fully come to pass yet. Marvelous demonstration. You see the difficulty with Balaam is he loved the wages of unrighteousness, the Bible says. And having loved the wages of unrighteousness, uh, uh, the Bible says that he went to prayer again. Now think about this. He prayed. God said, no. No, no, no. I'm not going to curse them. But he went to prayer again because he loved the wages of unrighteousness. He prayed again. And then God said, okay. Go ahead. Then he met him down the road to kill him. Had he not had a donkey that had more brains than he had, he would have died in the midst of the road. You read read the story. It's a fascinating story. say, well, I prayed about that and God said, He did. Are you sure that that's what He said? Or was it your self-will that interpreted His yes? Here in the Scripture... We have the revelation. And, you know, you can read that. And I'm, I'm, I'm spouting these. Oh, but pastor, I thought God is love. What is the love in all this? Wonderful love. God is a God of love. And the reason He does this is to instruct you and I in this present generation. Because He loves us. Uh, that we not destroy ourselves with the insanity of the religious world. Balaam forced himself. Saul forced himself. So here in bringing this to conclusion this morning, our prerogative this morning is to offer the sacrifice and to wait on God. It's God's to send the fire. You still with me? Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. See, you'll never have more truth than you obey. In this Scripture, in Romans 12, 1 and 2, God is beseeching you to throw down the idol of self-will and to surrender to the will of God and as you do that then God will express himself in his good time Acts chapter 1 they're instructed by the Lord verse 4 says don't depart from Jerusalem but tarry until you be endued with power from on high. Acts 2, verse 1. And as they were all with one accord in the upper room, suddenly there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it filled a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the place they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were waiting on God. See, waiting isn't a passive uh, nap that you take in a chair. It's an active surrender to the will of God in obedience to uh, uh, to His Word and waiting on Him. Eighteen times in the book of Psalms it says, Wait on the Lord. Samuel said to Saul, Wait on me. I'll be back in seven days. And Samuel says, I don't know what's happened to him. I've got to get God moving here. Because the problem is losing the crowd listening to me it's gathering the crowd and holding the crowd that is the agenda of the religious world but our agenda needs to be to focus on God's will and His will alone as revealed in the Word and we won't budge from that until God hears and answers our prayer 25 times in other places in the Scripture specifically says that we are to wait on God it gives us those directions Our part is to present the living sacrifice. It's God's to send the fire. When we wait on God this morning and we dethrone self, I guarantee you that there's an eager God waiting to send the fire that we need to accomplish His purpose, and the fire will fall in your heart. If you force yourself, you will encounter and have a spiritual encounter, but it will not be God. I want every head bowed and every eye closed the moment we're concluding this service. The words that I've spoken are words that are profound. To many of you, this is going to save your bacon. This is going to salvage your life. But to many of you who, in this service this morning, this does not mean a great deal to you. Remember these words. Because you'll encounter and have to deal with the issue that I'm speaking about this morning. It is very common for pastors to become impatient. It is very common for pastors to be unfruitful and to begin to wonder if maybe uh, maybe there isn't a better way than soul winning and discipling and church planting. And they'd like to have a little bit of strange fire. They want to get God moving. I want to tell you, God never moves more powerfully than when He finds the surrender of your will. When He finds you placing your will as a living sacrifice at His disposal. Say, God, here I am. Touch me. Consume me. Reveal yourself to me. Help me to fulfill and obey your will. You will never find a greater manifestation of God in your own personal life, and when you surrender totally to the will of God. Well, we're pausing for a moment. God's dealing with many hearts that are here this morning. Maybe you've been in this strange fire. I want to tell you, if you've been in this strange fire, you need to repent of it before you're fried. Maybe this is the story of your life this morning. Or maybe you have friends that are dealing with you and talking to you and saying, Oh, listen, uh, I want you to know there's a, there's a fantastic manifestation happening here or happening there. I want to tell you there's never any greater manifestation of God's presence and power than when you win souls. Bring souls to Jesus Christ. Sister Drought testified last night. What a trail, What a rush. What a rush. What a rush. What did the rush come from? Some bizarre... Uh, manifestation, some dance, uh, some waving of banners, some incense burn. No, that rush came uh, out of one souls to Jesus Christ. Uh, and there is no greater rush than that. This morning as you're here, there are people God's dealing with. And you need to make this your reference point. We're going to stand together. Do you know this course, God is moving by Spirit, moving all the earth? No, I don't know that, okay? Hallelujah. Whatever spirit they had, I don't know what kind of razzmatazz or ringamating they had going on over there, but whatever it was, it was not the same spirit that we had. Service froze. There was not a single miracle that came. Same dynamic, same city, same group of people, but another spiritual dynamic had been penetrated, and it froze what God was doing. You and I need to be very circumspect. This book gives great guidelines. God spoke to me in December, he said there's 10 mega trends of the religious world that are going to invade our fellowship, going to affect us. We're going to have to confront that. One of these things is unity at any cost. As you and I are in this building today, the great move is unity. And people who should know what a Protestant is no longer knows what a Protestant is. I'm a Protestant. I'm a protestant. And I don't care if the Pope goes to Israel and uh, kisses the, the, the Temple Mount. He's still a Catholic. And they've not changed their doctrine. One single iota compromises. Still, as the seven sacraments... Uh, And I don't care if the Pope speaks in tongues. It doesn't matter to me. That's not the issue. The issue is the book. He's still a Catholic. Years ago, Tom Drought was a young disciple in Prescott, and uh, he heard about a book. The book was uh, Babylon, uh, the two Babylons, I think it was, by Bacchuslip. And he wanted to read that book. And I'll never forget what he, what he said when he brought the book back to me. He said, Pastor, I've always thought that Catholics were, were just people that were a little bit off base. But he said, after reading this book, they're not Christians at all. I said, great revelation. I am a protestant. And I will not join together or align myself with or appear with or associate with those that, that do not make the difference. If you don't know what a protestant is, read some church history. Within my lifetime, in, in Colombia, the Catholic Church was persecuting the Protestant Church. And they said you could stand on the bridge at Barranca de Meja and sit at, see 60 bodies an hour floating down the river, killed by Catholics, Protestants. That's within my lifetime. That's what a Catholic is. When they get control, as long as they're maneuvering politically, and I'm not talking about Catholic people. These many of these are great people; they're wonderful people, but they're just ignorant. I'm talking about Catholicism. That's what Catholicism is. Within my lifetime, since I've been a Christian, missionaries you stand on the bridge any day. See sixty bodies an hour float down the river. Protestants killed by. Praise God. Strange fire will turn you into a crispy critter. Let's stand. Praise God.